0: relational journey, say, Jamie, I'm stranded. Re- Driven's for you. Jamie, we're hitting on all eight cylinders, and fuel, inje- fuel injectors are all clean. We're running on, we're, we're, we're cooking with Crisco, man. We're running on, we're running on, you know, high octane. This message series for you. Jamie, I'm single, trying to find somebody who going through the worst time of my life relationally. I want you to know that driven is for you. And if it doesn't apply at this moment, right at this second, then lock these things away. Because it may, just like... Crystal and I, it may save you from some relational disasters uh, down the road. Whenever you or I go to buy a car, there is always on the, on the, uh, the tag on the window, there's always a features list. And normally you got to look through there and see what is and what isn't a part of it. They, they When salesmen present a car to you, they do what they call a walk around. There's actually contests. Wiggum's actually been in those contests nationally, where they they uh, you know do all these tricks to make you fixate on one thing and and let you focus on that because they know that everybody focuses on different features. Some people it's the body style. Some people it's just the name on the car. Some people it's paint color. Some people it's the radio, the sound system, the wheels, the cup holders. And realistically, there's just things people fixate on. It cracks me up that they have a term for this—a walk around that they show the features. Because I'm one of these guys that get fixated on on a on a, uh, on, a fe- on a feature. Like for me, I, I, there's still things. My dad was a mechanic. He raced Ford. I was around cars my whole life. Cool cars my whole life, man. And uh, you know, one of the things I love still is a '64 Ford Galaxy. The grill, the front end of a '64 Ford Galaxy. I think personally. It's one of the most beautiful cars that was ever produced in our country. I love the front end of a Ford pickup, 67 through 69. My favorites, man. Love those. Some of you know what I'm talking about. My stepdad still has his 46 Ford first car, 30,000 miles. I mean, it never been touched. It's the original paint. He still has that car. And, and it's got suicide doors. And I, I'm not a big fan of the body style, but I love the suicide doors. I was at home. I don't know, whenever we were back home again, and and I I snuck into the garage, and I opened them just like a kid, and I opened them, I couldn't get it shut back, so when he goes to unlock that, I'm hoping it stays on the hinge, man, because I got it shut, but, you know, it'd be like one of those Tommy boy things, what'd you do, you know, when the door falls off, but features, now it goes without saying, in a church, they're going to say, don't focus, don't focus on the, the physical, don't focus on that piece, but, but I want you to, if you weren't here last week, listen to the podcast, see what Life LifePoint Church, what I feel about the physical, I think it's important, you'll see the place of it. What we don't say in church is, you know, how, how about the way they make you feel? If that's all you focus on is how someone makes you feel, miss. you will miss, you'll miss a lot of the other features. Well, someone fixates on a feature. They don't. If they fixate on the sound system, they don't say, Is this, has this? Is this car ever been in a creek and been re- reworked? Has the frame ever been bent? Has this thing been wrecked on the lot?" They're just focused on a feature. How about when you focus in a relationship on just how someone makes you feel? How about how about the way they make you look? How about if they make you feel loved? You're safe. You know, how about if, how about if you focus on the fact they let you enjoy your hobby, every other relationship you've been in, somebody nags about how much you play golf or work out or, you know, play softball or whatever. But this person, they're cool with it. They come to the games. They go, they maybe go play golf with you. I mean, you, you have found, you look at their tag, you're like made in heaven. You know what a man She plays golf with me. How about that guy that when you start dating, he actually buys your dinner. I mean, you always go Dutch Boy Paints with a dude. And this guy actually springs, and he springs for the movie. He maybe even holds the door open for your, your side of the car. I mean, you'll fixate on that. But if that's all you've got, man, there's something missing. There's so many times... We know we need more when we focus on one thing, but we're not willing to give something up to see what it it is. And the longer you're with someone, the more your complexities, the more the relationship builds complexities because you're adding people, maybe kids, in-laws, outlaws, cousins, friends, in some cases, friends with benefits. I mean, you're adding a lot of things when you bring people together. So how do we know and not just get fixated on one feature, but how do we know what's the most important features are? I mean, when you're lost in complexity and pheromones, it's hard to find out for everybody. God knew this. He knew that we would be blinded by desire. We would lose focus. We would focus on one feature. And so he, he encrypted in this chapter we're going to look at some amazing features. And I I want you to check this out with me. There's only really two of them. They they are the deal deal breaker, difference maker. They are the thing that makes physical intimacy better. They are the thing that brings longevity. The things that bring longevity to a relationship. The couple. I'm not talking about the couple that just started dating that are all over each other, or the or the couple that's having marital problems that, that hang all over each other. So their friends don't know they're having marital problems. We're not talking about that. Like, oh, we're so in love. We can't get enough of each other. You know, not those guys. I'm talking about those relationships that are solid. Those relationships where you look at them and both people seem to have their needs met. Both people seem to have a spot in the relationship that has high value. Those kind of relationships. And they may not be able to articulate it. And they may have not been able to pick these words. But I guarantee you these what we're going to look at today is a part of it. It can revive a, bla- a bad relationship that's flatline. I mean, if relationally you're like this, if you apply what we look at today, boop. Is going to have a pulse again. There's going to be a pulse in that relationship. I can promise you this. If both people from their heart apply these two things in a relationship, the negative influences, I mean that co-worker that's coming on to, to your wife, that, that lady that, that won't leave your husband alone, those in-laws that want to control your marriage, that that those people that, that in your family that pick, you know, why aren't you having kids why aren't you doing this why aren't you doing that? The negative influences will become peripheral mess that you don't have to deal with. They'll be left on the side of the road if you take and apply these two necessary features. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter five with me. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter five with me. We're gonna start off in one version, then we're gonna jump track into another version, but I want you to look at this with me. Whoops. Uh, Look at this with me, Ephesians chapter five. And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Don't panic because I know what you're going to think. I don't want you to go where this chapter goes because we've missed a lot of things. We're bottleneck here. We're going to retrofit what it's really highlighting in another time. Maybe not even this series, maybe just in another series, but I want you to stick with me. Wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body, of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Look at verse 25. I know everybody's happy with that one. Husbands, love your wives. How come they get to do the cool thing? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with his word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, Look at all this responsibility he's taking on with love. In the same way husbands should love their wives with their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. These a key, man, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, man shall his father, mother, what stuff we looked at last week, we and will fast his wife, the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church, however, let each one of you love his wife, this is a key verse, as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Oh, man, it's great stuff. And it's not, I don't want you to fixate on the submit and all this love and all this stuff that you're like, oh, my gosh, that means I'm to have to talk all the time. Oh, my goodness, that means I'm going to have to back every dumb decision he makes and never say anything not what we're talking about. We're, we're going to retrofit this. But the sticking point, the bottleneck is typically those things. But we're going to look at this and say, hey... God has revealed two primary pieces of a great relationship. They are the feature. They are the the necessary features in a relationship. Now, I know that Crystal and I are the only ones that have struggled with this, but I want you to indulge me because it fits into our series really nicely, and I think that it may help some of us that are struggling because these things that God has told us to do, he told us to respect and he told us to love, and those things have gotten lost in translation. Respect means different things to different people. I mean, look at what love means. Love can mean physical, it can mean emotional, it can mean spiritual, it can mean family, it can be all these things. But, but So we got all these definitions. And rather than get lost in translation, I want to go where this goes in our relationships. I want it to fit into our lives. And this is probably more sermonar, seminar than sermon-esque, but I want you to get this. And we're just going to start where God does with respect. And so, ladies, here's the thing. Guys, check this out. The reason God said love husbands, respect ladies, here's why he did that. Ladies, he knows that you naturally love. You love, it's intuitive, it's natural, it's expressive, it's part of who you are. Even if it has been squelched by the way you grew up, even if it seems pressed down, and you're frustrated. God has made you to love. You know that. I know that. Guys, here's the thing. God did not say respect your wives because he knew that respect is part of your DNA. Men don't treat one another the way women treat one another. That's why you see women fight and argue and all this stuff and backstab and men just fight I come to head, everybody argue, everybody get verbal fist fight, whatever it is, and they go to lunch together, and everybody's scratching their head, all the ladies like, how does that work? I would hate them forever, I would set their car on fire. Because it's a respect thing. Men just respect one another. They have this natural respect for boundaries. They have this natural respect. That's why there's this hierarchical thing with men when they get together that's just part of the way they're wired. So know that from the beginning, that God kind of highlights. He says, lady, I want you to focus on respect. He said, guys, I want you to focus on love. So let's start where God started with respect. Let me blow your mind. Love is not enough. You knew it, didn't you? Love is not enough. Your emotions, your caring to be honest, you're trying to help him share, you're trying to help him make better decisions, and you do it by repetitive encouragement that some of us call nagging. You just love him. He doesn't understand why you do this, but you know it's love. Here's the thing. Love is not enough. Men want to feel respected. Feeling respected equals feeling loved. This is one of those things that I don't want lost in translation. Feeling respected is feeling loved. This began to change Crystal and I's relationship, and we did these things at a level, but then our relationship about three or four years ago took off because we defined these things for one another. My wife read a book, and she said, would you rather be loved or respected? I mean, it was like deer in the headlights. I didn't know what to say. I was like, you know, I was trying to break it down. I got these Bible verses going. I'm going back to sociology classes. I'm, you know, I'm thinking of every radio broadcast. I didn't know how to separate it. I didn't realize, and I know now I didn't know how to define it because it was lost in translation. They are the same to me. To love me is to respect me. When someone says they love me and they don't respect me, it means nothing to me. You can ask my wife this. There's people are, I love you, man, love you, buddy, love you. Or so, It you know, doesn't mean anything to me because it's not attached to respect. So know this. We're gonna we're gonna point this out. It doesn't mean you failed. He needs your love, but he needs your respect. Just some of these things. Respecting his judgment. Men truly don't need all their knowledge, all their opinions, and every decision they make second-guessed by you. I know that that blows you away. Here's what I want to say to you ladies. If you, just just track with me on this because it's going to be a lot easier on you than it is the guys. But, but know this, if you are constantly nagging, reorchestrating, reorienting, re Whether your husband's approval or not, it says more about your lack of character and your lack of judgment and your bad choices than it does his. Because he came into the relationship and you knew this about him, unless you dated for two days and got married in Vegas in a drunken stupor, you knew who he was. Now that doesn't mean you don't have opinion. That doesn't mean you don't question things. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if your husband can't pick a sock color, can't pick a shirt he wants to wear, can't decide in a restaurant that he wants to go to, if he doesn't get to go to a movie that he wants to go to sometimes, this is flip too, then there's an issue there with respect. We're going to see how this plays out. So if you're constantly tearing him down and all constantly saying things and constantly reorchestrating his character, it is more about your lack of judgment than it is his, because he, he married up and you didn't. But I'm, we're going to see how this works. But respecting his judgment, and I know that's tough, because you look at him you say, I could do that so much better. This is such a much better decision. But I'm just telling you, if you want this guy that you've put the golden man on the right, left hand this time, I'm talking George Jones, if you, I mean, if you put the golden man on the right hand this time, and you want him to feel loved by you, and you want him to respond to you, then you respect his judgment. We're going to see how this plays out. Respecting his abilities, men need to figure out stuff. They just need to figure out stuff. That's why he doesn't stop for directions. You want to know why? Because he's going to conquer this road trip. Yes, it did. You're exactly right. It made no sense. There was a construction worker at the exit that he could ask the 20-second question and save you 20 minutes, but he didn't do that. He's going to drive, and he's going to call up the scenic route, and he's going to you know make up some story that his mom and dad brought him there. But he, he, here's the thing, respecting his abilities. We're going to see how this plays. It's going to tie together with this whole respect issue. Men need to know they're respected. Chris and I have a standing joke. And if we, after we had worked through this, and you probably saw it on Facebook if you're on both our Facebook pages. How many people saw the old school movie? Old school. Oh, yeah. We only watch a uh, fireproof movie here or whatever, right? Anybody see old school besides me? Anybody at center besides me? Thank you. Appreciate it. Old school. How many people remember the scene when Will Ferrell shot himself with a train gun? At, with with uh, They were, had the little ponies out, and he popped himself in the neck, and this guy, shot, I forget the guy's name, is Sean something. He goes, hey, man, you just shot yourself with a track gun. And it already had begun the medicine already being to kid. He goes, I like you, man, but you are crazy, you know. Just didn't believe what happened. And that became a standing joke with my wife because she would ask me this question. I would give a 10-minute answer. And then she would be like, <laughs> and she would basically say, I like you, but you are Crazy. So it became a joke. After we worked through our issues, now we crack up at it. She put it on Facebook the other day because I can always tell when she's zoning off and she's not really paying attention. She doesn't really believe what I'm saying, and we just laugh about it now. But men need to feel respected when you give, when they when you when you ask them their opinion. Don't expect them to give what you want them to give. They're not going to do it, man. Just know that. Respected communication and it's kind of tied to that whole public piece. Criticism destroys a man's emotion, his trust, his I- identity. Doing it publicly is the worst thing in the world. The worst thing in the world. Every guy cringes when some guy standing in the, in the, in the social circle, his wife pops off something negative about him that's not just in fun or jest, but, or maybe it is, but it's a real, it's kind of one of those untouched areas in public. You don't talk about certain things and you don't, Knock a guy down, you know, or you don't belittle him or whatever. Every guy's like, ooh. And we automatically feel sorry for that guy. We don't feel, we're not like, <laughs> good one, Susie Q. We're like, ooh, it would stink to be married to Susie Q. That would really blow. We would be talking divorce court if she did that to me. Men hate to be publicly ridiculed. Men need respect and communication. We're always worried about the extreme. See, when you look at these, some of you all are, especially control freaks, you are so worried that you're going to create this prime caveman, primal beast that, that, you know, just rages rampant everywhere and beats up people and treats you and your kids. I mean, what you don't realize is, relationally, every man in this room feels insecure. He conquers at work all day long. But the one thing he has little control of, and he knows it, is his home life. The one thing that you you ladies have to have the, it doesn't matter if you both work or not. When they come home, men feel the most inept at being a husband and or a father because they want to win at home. If you have someone that, doesn't respect you in communication. It doesn't respect your decisions. When you I mean, you could be at work. You're cutting million-dollar deals. You're saving the day. You're fixing machines that are broken. But when you step into that home and no one believes what you say, no one sees your abilities, no one gives a crap that you're there other than a paycheck, you feel really diminished. And so you don't know how to operate in that because there are these defined lines at work. There are these defined lines with other men of respect that men just kind of naturally do. But when you come home, you're in the emotional world, and you don't know what to do with that. And you ladies have an amazing, amazing opportunity to help him win. That's why the reminders and the encouragement or the nagging or the repetitive encouragement, it reminds them of what they already feel internally. You are no good at this husband thing. You are no good at this provision thing. You are no good at this parenting thing. You are you are ineffective relationally. And you can turn this thing around. Here's the big question. If you, if you have the guts to ask your husband this, my wife had the guts to ask me this question. Do you feel appreciated? Do you feel appreciated? And guys, if your wife has the guts to ask you that question, then please have the guts to give her a real answer because it's going to open up a, a dimension for her that she does not naturally understand about you that thing that frustrates you when she's always wanting you to react like her and act like her and think like her and you're frustrated and she's frustrated. This is the question that allows you to be able to articulate what you need in your life. Do you feel appreciated? It was a groundbreaking day when my wife asked me this question because I didn't know how to answer it up until then. I'm one of those guys, I mean, my life is dissecting people, dissecting messages, dissecting culture. But I don't, there's just things I don't even think about myself. My wife said, what's your favorite kind of vacation? Uh, I don't know. Beach, mountains, uh, desert. I, I don't know. I, you know, I just like a cruise. I don't know if a cruise, Jamaica, what would it be? I know that answer now after going to Florida with just she and I. It's a kidless vacation. I mean, that that's awesome. And we could be in the Alps. We could be in the Poconos. We can be in Harlem. It doesn't matter, man, as long as it's kid-free. You know what I'm saying? Most men have a hard time with that. Here is the biggie where the respect comes together. Do you feel appreciated? Those th- those the answers to those questions, ladies, that you're so afraid of. If I, you know, I don't want to empower him too much. I got to keep him on a leash. He's going to over. You know, we've got this tug of war thing going. Ask him. Do you feel appreciated? The cards are suddenly in your hands. You are helping him emote at a level he doesn't even know how to do. And then it would be backed, I think, by this. What are your assumptions of him? Do you assume that he will do the best? Do you expect him to win or to lose? Do you expect him to come through or to fail? Do you see the best or the worst? I can promise you this, it always comes out whether you see the best or the worst in him. It's going to come out in your face. It's going to come out in your tone. It's going to come out in that question. It's going to come out in that comparison. You know, I get, because I'm a pastor, people, my wife puts up with a lot, she puts up with a lot. She gives a lot of grace because I make a lot of mistakes, but here is one thing that she consistently lets me know. I'm proud of you and you can do this. My wife believes in me and I know it. It's nitrous oxide to my soul because she believes in me. It's nitrous oxide. Some of you Don't realize the power you can have with your husband. And if you grew up in a negative influence like I did, I naturally will troubleshoot into the pessimistic. I have to struggle to be positive, not my wife. She sees the best. She expects me to win. We can have an argument or a disagreement or a tough time. And if I were her, I would not want to sit and listen to me speak. I would be in the nursery that week or something. And she will still say to me, you're still my favorite speaker. Let me tell you something. You want to know why? I strive to be better in relationships. It's not because she gives me disapproving looks when the, when the rose bushes have grown too big and the grass needs mowed and the, and the sidewalk needs edge. not that. It's because she believes in me. I will walk into traffic for her. I will take a gunfire for her. I will do anything for her because she has spoken that life into me some of you don't realize you're trying to play the Holy Spirit. You're trying to be God in his life and he won't get saved and he won't do anything spiritually and he won't take the lead because you're in the way of the Holy Spirit. Step back, go First Corinthians 7 on him, go Ephesians 5 on him, lift him up before God, give him to God, begin to see the good in him, begin to pick out the good traits. If they're one or two, if he works hard, I mean, it may be a fall down drunk if he's a hard worker. Say, man, I appreciate you so much working hard for us. You don't have to appreciate what he doesn't do. It's about appreciating what he does. And when you do that, that will make him want to do more. Much more than the comparison. I, I started to tell you this. Because of my job, I always get to be the guy in our friendships that is Mr. Understanding. You know, listen to a podcast, listen to a message, so I'm Mr. Understanding. Well, you know, Jamie never has to do that with Crystal. Now they've begun, thankfully, to throw her under the bus, too, because that's kind of, I was kind of lonely at our friends' gatherings, because I was always getting thrown under the bus. And I was like, man, l- listen, man, I'm a jerk. I'm me. Crystal might fight, and I would be, you know, just be transparent. He would go, hey, listen, man, Jamie fights with her. He just told me about, you know, like this back and forth thing. My job doesn't remove the fact that I need respected. My job doesn't take away from the fact that I need to love my wife, which we're going to look at in just a moment. And it doesn't make me any better at it naturally than you are. So it doesn't matter what your role in life is. It doesn't matter what your vocation in life is. This is for everybody. Respect. Respect. I want you to know this. Now we're going to have to jumpstart some people after this one. I want you to know this about love, guys. Ladies, just take a breath. Just chill out for a moment. Love is not sex. We need, we need to try to go call some EMS. It's clear. You know, love is not sex. Remember that challenge, man. The challenge is not for men to respect their wives. They're going to naturally do that. The challenge is for them to love their wives. And man, does this get lost in translation. Does this cause a ton of arguments? But God revealed this thing. If we get past the submission and respect and all this kind of stuff, he revealed it in two words. Cherish and nourish. He said, you do this to yourself, man. You cherish and nourish yourself. I want you to do that to your wife. I want you to love her in that way. So here's the way it translates for her. Love is feeling heard, not fixed. Now, if you're like me, I troubleshoot all the time. I'm constantly in situations where I've got to appease two parties or fix problems or coach somebody the next level or give somebody advice or whatever the case may be. But here's the thing. I don't get to be pastor with my wife. She'll tell me sometimes, quit being preacher, quit being leader, quit being church planner, and be my husband. Love is being heard. Let me, let me, let me unveil the mystery. It's not going to make sense at all. Guys, I'm telling you right now, it's not going to make sense. You listening to what they say is fixing the problem for them. Let's rewind. You listening to what they say is fixing the problem for them. This is the hardest piece for me with love. As soon as Crystal gives me a problem, I've got my relational tool belt. Got my Makita drills. Got that automatic screwdriver. I'm going to fix it. Got the duct tape. We're going to fix this thing, man. We're going to solve 30 years of relationship problems with your family because I'm on the job. Right now, we're going to do it. And so what happens if she tells me something, and I'm like, I'm waiting for that pause. Okay, just hit that pause. Boom, there it is. Now I can jump into the conversation. Well, you know what you need to do. And she's like, it's the bedroom, closes the door. And I'm like, man, if somebody would give me that advice, that's money, dude. That's I mean, I pay money for books to find that stuff out, right? I mean, it was in the bank. Listening is fixing. Love feels heard, not fixed. Love feels safe, safe to be who she is, safe to be vulnerable. Guys, here's the thing. God has made you, if you read this chapter and you study the other passages in the scripture, 1st Pete 3 and 1st and, and Corinthians 7, God has made you the protector. God has made you, God has made you the covering. So when you don't meet the love needs of your family, When you are absent, let's say you're not abusive at all. You just remove yourself. You have removed part of the covering that protects your children and your wife. I'm talking that protects them from sexual abuse, that protects them from affairs. We're not saying no one can be perfect. But when you remove yourself, when you go over here and you think they don't know, like, listen, I'm messing around with this lady and they don't know it's not going to hurt them. You have taken the covering and you have put it over here. And God needs you to create a safe environment for your wife, for your kids, for them to be themselves and for them to be vulnerable. I would say that most of us did not grow up in a home where you didn't have to mind your P's and Q's and you could not be yourself. I'm not talking about doing whatever you want. I'm not talking about lack of discipline. I'm talking about there were things you could not talk about with your parents. There were things you didn't mention with your parents. And so who did you turn to? You turned to your friends. You turn to TV, you turn to culture, you see what's up. You look at those emotions. You say, where's this emotion guiding me? God never intended that for the family. Nothing is off limits in discussion or dealing with in the immediate nuclear family biblically. I want my kids to talk about sex with me. I want my kids to talk about temptation with me. Because I know if they don't talk to me, it's going to be real uncomfortable when, when Chloe comes in it talks about sex. That's gonna be real uncomfortable for me. But I'd rather have her talking to me than some to some fourteen year old boy that's gonna help her understand it better than me. You know what I'm saying? He's gonna give her the physical tour rather than me just saying, Hey baby, here's what the Bible says. He's gonna be self absorbed about himself. I'm gonna protect her until the one that God brings in her life, hopefully, that she can give her life to also. Protection. You think because you got a gun and because you got the alarm system and because you got the paycheck and the stub and you got the automatic withdrawal that you're taking care of your family. If you're removed and everything's about you and you're constantly gone, you're not a protection to your family. I want to help you with that, guys. And feeling loved, being loved, feels safe. Love feels beautiful. It's everything from being noticed to to being delighted in. I'm talking about her looks, her body, her gifting, her personality. They have to be enough in her eyes for you. She has to feel beautiful to you. She has to feel like she she is beautiful. Her personality's enough, her character's enough that that you are pleased with her. That you think she's attractive. That you love the way she laughs. If you you know if you if you're dating someone and their laugh drives you crazy, man, it's not going to get better. If they're like, hur, 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 and you're like, whoa, I, I could never eat in public with you, man. It's going to be embarrassing. They want to know that they that they are beautiful to you, and connected to this. I don't even know how you separate these, but that love feels special. The world is better because she's in it. The world is a better place. Because she was born, and your world is a better place because God placed her strategically in your life. They are, they, are, they are inseparable, the feeling better and the feeling beautiful. Every guy in this room wants to know that he has what it takes. When the chips are down, when it's back against the wall, he wants to know that he has what it takes. Every lady in this room, I don't care how masculine you come across, you want to know that you make the world a more beautiful, better place because you're around. You make things better. You make things more beautiful because of your presence, because of your person, because of who you are—not just what you look like. God has wired these things, and here's the thing: when, when, you, when like guys, when it comes to that, it's—it's it's how she needs it communicated. It's not how you grew up or watched your dad not talk or watched your papa be mean to your mamma. It's not what you saw in the movies. It's not what you read in Penthouse Forum. It's not what you studied in Playboy. It's not what you snuck and read in Cosmo about 45 different kind of orgasms. It's none of that junk. It's making her feel like she is it in the world. And you have to talk and you have to listen. And you you can't just give, okay, like I want to give gifts. I don't want to talk. So I give gifts and I don't talk you're removing the covering. You're creating a feeling of unloved that some other jerk can come into. He can notice it right away in her and begin to push those buttons. Ladies, if you disrespect your husband, this is not an affair approval message. I'm against all that. The Bible's against all that. That's the most important piece. But so many ladies disrespect their husbands don't meet any of their needs and belittle them, and then are shot to death when someone not as attractive, not as effective, steals her man away. I can guarantee you it was not her looks. Even if she was even if she was a supermodel, it was respect. Here's the cool piece. According to 1 Corinthians 7, we can make the other better, more effective. We can help them grow if they will receive the love and respect that we offer. First Corinthians seven unveils that, that ladies, if you, if you will love your husband, or if you'll respect your husband, forgive me, if you'll show that love by respecting him. It will radically change his life because you're doing it to obey scripture, not because he deserves it. Guys, if you will take this woman and that is so broken, and you are beat your head against the wall, you've went to counseling, you've done all this, if you will begin to love her and find out what you can do, the needs you can met, the way she hears I love you. I say personally I love you with a new outfit to my wife. That doesn't say I love you. That says you have, you know, cool taste, and, you know, I can't believe you know my size and all this kind of stuff. What says I love you to my wife is letting her hang on my arm when I'm watching a movie that she wants to watch like Marley and me or The Notebook and I can't get my hand in my mouth with the popcorn she's hanging on it. That says I love you to Crystal. And then not making fun of her because she cries at the end. <laughs> I've learned a lot in 16 years. You know what I mean? What are you crying for? <laughs> you know, fucking the ribs. You know what I mean? You can change their lives. You can take a flat line relationship, the paddle of love, the paddle of respect, and jar life back into it. You can take a relationship that that, that, that is, it, it's, that it's, remember, it's those necessary features. This you're going to want on a car. You have to have windshield wipers. You don't have to have air conditioning. This is a necessary feature. If you want to have a relationship that lasts more than pheromones and the kids leaving the house and a double income, it's love and it's respect. And God encrypts the best place to start with this thing as we close. You know where it is? He gave that comparison with Jesus and the church. The church are people, but in God's mind, people are individuals. The Bible says that Jesus would have died for you if you would have been the only person ever born. He would have rose again for you if you were the only person that ever lived. And so if you're struggling with love and respect... The first place with Ephesians 5 to look is the spiritual peace. You can both say, listen, do I have Jesus? And your wife or husband can look at their lives and say, do I have Jesus? And if you don't today, you can settle that. You can invite Jesus Christ into your life. You can believe on Christ today. Some of you are saying, hey, we are Christ followers, but this thing is this thing needs life support. Here's the life support. It's going to jump start. I promise you. If you will sit down and say, Do you feel appreciated? And how can I help you feel appreciated? And begin to see the best in them against all costs. And you sit down with her whom your heart is cold to and say, How do I make you feel beautiful? How do I make you feel loved? And you let her tell you and you don't belittle it and you say, I will take action on that. If it's hanging on my arm during a movie, if it's me buying your presents, I'll get a second job. whatever it is. If it's saying more words, I am a, you know, I am a mute, but I will write them on a paper and slip them under the bathroom door, whatever. But I'm going to communicate this thing to your soul. Jesus Christ can mend even the most broken situation. Let's pray together. So, Jamie, I'm one of those people.